You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Last uh, last week we did the the religion marathon. We came preached here in the early service, then the late service, and we went went out to lunch. And I ate a lot of Mexican food, so I just had a really heavy stomach, and it gave me like a little chance to get a little nap. And then uh, and then we drove up the what do you call it? What that high? What's the highway that goes up to Winkleman? Seventy. But was that called the Copper Basin area? Copper Corridor. That's right. So we drove all the way up there and then drove back to Phoenix, got home at 8 o'clock last night, and uh, last Sunday. It was a marathon, and um, I'm not doing it again after, after today. No. <laughs> I'm just going to give James a bunch of my old books that are just getting dusty in the garage, and, and he can hand them, Rick can hand them out up in, up in Winkleman. That's a huge city, that Winkleman. <laughs> what was that? Oh, that was Winkleman. <laughs> James was, you know, we, we'd love to see more people come. I said, I told, told James, I look it up on the Wikipedia. Hayden has a total of like 430 people. That's the population of Hayden. And uh, so if, if you have three people in church, it's awesome. Well, it's really good to be here. My wife is not here with me today. I got a couple friends. They're on my prayer team. My wife and I have a, uh, four couples. Is it five couples? Four couples. Five with us. Who? Um, it's our prayer team. We call it our pit. Our pit crew. Personal intercessory team. And they're they're on call. And we meet. Uh, we try to meet once a month for fellowship, a dinner, and then we pray together and share. And uh, a couple of these my, my brothers that came down here to. I need, I need a, I'm not important, but I'm old, and I, it's just great to have somebody driving for me when I'm driving all over Arizona. Anyway, and for three people in, in uh, Winkleman. <laughs> anyway, Scott and, and uh, Kayser, stand up for a second, guys. These, are, these guys have been friends. <clears throat> these guys have been friends for years. Kayser actually came to our church how many years ago? 1998, and, um, and he, he comes from a, mu- a Muslim background. He's from Pakistan, and uh, they've just become really, really good friends. God, God used him. He does prison ministry work up here in the, uh, up at uh, Florence. But I, I want to say that um, there's, there's not just three people that show up. I mean, I think we had about 20 or 30 people for church on, on Sunday afternoon in Winkleman, and uh, I don't know how many of you have been up there, but uh, Living Word Chapel has done a marvelous job. They got this, they got this wonderful facility. It's, it's really, it's a, they have a worship center, and a lobby, and children's uh, classrooms, and uh, restrooms, and it's they're they're renting this space from the public school or from the high school, and uh, they've really done a nice job. I, I kind of I didn't know where we would be meeting, but it's a, it's a really nice place. It's a Living Word Chapel in Winkleman, Hayden, Kearney, and. Um, I'm looking forward to going there tonight, although I'm not going to be driving. My friend's going to drive me up there, so all right, whatever. Um, James learned, has learned, did you notice, notice how he was kind of insulting? You know, he's got this kind of funny sense of humor, edgy, and he's learned all that from me. May God, <laughs> God have mercy on his soul. So we're going to talk about uh, the Gospel of John today. You guys have been reading through the New Testament uh, books of the Bible. James was telling me you had something like 250 or 300 copies that we distributed here. And uh, it's a chance for you to read through the New Testament chronologically. And you can do it in a month, and there's a reading plan. And uh, I work for American Bible Society. 
I mean, I have, I'm there, I'm like a three-quarter timer, but I'm working, do, working Phoenix. And I'm, I'm not selling Bibles, but we're doing whatever we can to partner with local churches. And I, I forgot, James says that this was maybe an idea that, that I, I told him about about a year or more ago. And people are doing this across the country, the books of the Bible. And, and um, so this is a wonderful thing. And today we're talking about John chapter 3, which has two of the most famous Bible verses uh, in that chapter. And... Um, we're going to read it, and then we're going to explain it. Last week, I used some of the writings of the Apostle Paul to explain James. And now today, I'm going to use the writings of the Apostle Paul to explain Jesus, because he talks about being born again. And if you just had that passage by itself, it would be very hard to figure out exactly what that means. But the Bible is comprehensive, and other people have spoken into the uh, into the message of, of the Word of God, and we're going to see that today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace, for your love. Uh, and I just pray, God, that as we share your Word, people will get it and not just understand it, but there will, the lights will go on and, and there will be a liberation in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin by reading one of the best-known chapters of the Bible, John chapter 3. Uh, it has two famous verses, you must be born again, and John 3.16, which will be our last verse to read today. Um, <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So uh, let's read John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This was, a, this was an important individual. Uh, he was well-educated, he was a leader, influential, and he came to Jesus at night, and it doesn't really say this here, but he came to Jesus at night, we, we believe, because Jesus was controversial, and uh, especially with the Jewish religious leaders. And so he came to him by night to ask him some questions, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one would perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Verily, I, uh, ver very truly, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So you have a very righteous, religious man coming to Jesus, and Jesus right away says, you must be born again. Now the kingdom is not heaven. It's not about going to heaven, although it's certainly related. The kingdom of God is everything the way it's supposed to be. No sickness, no death, no divorce, no broken families, no injuries, no uh, unemployment. Uh, where the world is the way it's supposed to be, in Isaiah it says the lion will lie down with the lamb. And that's a metaphor of, of the world being a place of, of peace. Right now, um, the guys that drove up with me, we were talking early in our, in our drive about just how upside down everything is in, in the U.S., and you have it, it's all right here in your cell phone. You just punch news. And it's just awful, the stuff that happened in just the last 72 hours. Um, you know, the, with the, the synagogue, the, the British, the, the uh, Jewish synagogue, and then the uh, bomb scare. I mean, and, and it's just in one place, but we're so very aware of this. And all, all the hostility, the polarization over political issues, and, and Donald Trump, and the Republicans, and the Democrats, and it's just like... And then the Russians in the Middle East and, and Syria, the, the refugee problem. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you don't have to be religious to know that everything should be different. When Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, he's dreaming about, he, he used the Bible. I mean, he was, he was a, with all of his... Uh, with all of his carnality, with the, as all, all the rest of us, you know, he, he saw in the scripture that there was a dream of something that was supposed to be, and it's supposed to be much better, no more crying, no more tears, no more black, white, brown, yellow, no more divisions, no more hatred, just people living together. And uh, the Jews had a, had a word for this, have a word for this, the Jewish, uh, in, in, the Jewish, in, in the Jewish heritage, shalom, and that really means Thy kingdom come. That's really what that word means. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus says, no one, um, you can't, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
and you're talking to a religious person who knows a lot of things about the Bible and God, and it's not just about what you know, it's about who you know. And uh, so uh, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? And Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time in the, into their mother's womb to be born. And I, I just want to say that when Jesus talks about being born again, it's really hard to understand what he's, what he's trying to say, just if you, have this, if you just have this passage. And so Nicodemus is confused, and so he asks the question, and it's a, a legitimate question, how can you be born a second time? You've got to enter your mother's womb. And Jesus, it's really interesting, he doesn't exactly answer the question. Uh, you know, we say to other people, you've got to be born again. Well, what does that mean, see? So uh, how can someone be born when they're old, he says. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. And um, some, uh, some people have said this is a reference to baptism. Uh, some people say it's a reference to physical birth. The water breaks, the woman's water breaks, and then there's also birth by the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth, uh, to, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And uh, by the way, the word again, uh, it means again in the Greek, but it also means literally from above. So we're born from below. Uh, as, as our mom gives us life, and then we're born from above as the Spirit gives us life. So he says, uh, flesh, gives flesh, to flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. And then Jesus says, you know, you're surprised. Nicodemus, you're surprised. Then Jesus speaks with more mystery. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. We have to be born of the Spirit. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's like the, we talk about the wind of the Spirit. And even though Jesus is explaining things here, there's, there's this element of mystery. Uh, how did this really happen? Uh, how does this happen? And that's what Nicodemus asks. How can this be? And then in verse 10, he says, You are Israel's teacher, and said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Um, <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I mean, if you just read this, if you're just there in the con con conversation, you're, you're co kind of with Nicodemus, you're going, huh? You know, it's not real clear. <clears throat> I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Jesus is referring to himself, the Son of Man. <clears throat> and just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, there was, there was the, the, um, <clears throat> this was a moment where there was an infestation of snakes, and he made a snake, and they all looked at the snake, and look at the snake, look at the snake. And Jesus is saying this is kind of a picture of, of me being lifted up on the cross. The Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And then the famous verse, For God so loved the world, say it with me, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so let's let Paul, the Apostle Paul, explain what Jesus means here by being born again. Um, what's the title of my talk today? Who's your daddy? Okay. It's not who are you and how well have you lived your life, but who's your daddy? Jesus says you must be born again. Okay, And to talk about that, to help you understand that, I want to talk about poker. How many of you have played poker? Look around, James. It's a problem. Okay. I mean, what kind of church is this? Can you smoke and still go to heaven? How many believe you can smoke and still go to heaven? Those are the smokers. You got a lot of them. Do you see that?
So back to poker. If you don't know how to play poker, let me help you. I can explain it. Not that I've ever played poker, but I've been, it's been explained to me so I could help you understand the Bible. In poker, you know, there's how many cards in the deck? 56 cards, I think, something like that? 52. Not that you know anything about that, oh, brothers and sisters. Okay, there's 52 cards. And uh, see, I don't, even know, I don't even know what they look like. Anyway. So you can win in poker with any hand. You can win with all, all bad cards, like, like a pair of threes. And that's why you need a poker face, because poker is not only about gambling, it's also about lying. So, so who doesn't want to go to hell? That's what I want to know. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so anyway, you can win with any hand, right? I mean, you just, you know, and, and, but there's one hand that takes, takes down every other hand. What's that called? A royal flush. Now, here is how the Bible is like poker, or poker is like the Bible, Every verse in the Bible is God's word. Every verse can help you in your life. The good verses, the happy verses, the not so happy verses, they're all winners. It's all God's word. Every word of scripture is given by inspiration of God. But some passages of scripture are more important than others and more powerful and more significant. And to help people understand that, you know, I didn't bring my Bible up here, but uh, you know, you got a Bible there, James? Any, is there any? No, not your cell phone. Um, well, you, I'll just, I don't really need one. But if you, if you look at your Bible, the New Testament, the story about Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection, is only about 20% of the whole Bible. The other 80% are the Hebrew scriptures. And so we use that New Testament, that what you're reading through now, we use that part of the Bible to understand the Old Testament. We look at the Old Testament through the eyes of the New Testament, right? So this tells us that certain passages in the Bible are, they're royal flushes. And uh, when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, Jesus says you must be born again it says in John, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We're really talking about the core teaching of the New Testament. Jesus came to die on the cross for us to be saved, right? Well, what does that mean? What is expected of us? Uh, what, what do we have to do? Not just to get saved. What do we have to do to stay saved? You know, and all these questions arise. And if you read the Bible, there's a ton of stuff that sounds like your relationship with God depends on you doing this stuff. And what people do is they take all these verses that kind of sound like salvation and they throw them into a big salvation blender and it just comes out, it just comes out this mash. There's, there's really, it's not clear. It's a mash. Well, the Bible says, but the Bible says this over here, and the Bible says this over here. In the Bible. And this is where it's really important to know how to play poker and what a royal flush is because you have to take certain portions of the Bible to interpret other portions of the Bible. Jesus even said uh, the Holy Spirit, he said to his disciples, is going to lead you into all truth. In other words, just what Jesus taught was not the whole message. He introduced something and especially with the Apostle Paul, we understand what Jesus meant when he, uh, when he taught us about being born again. Because the only book in the whole Bible that actually talks about salvation systematically is the book of Romans. It's the only systematic book in the whole Bible, Paul. Is, it's logical and systematic. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about all kinds of different subjects. But in Romans... He sits down to talk about the gospel. It begins, the gospel, of God, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's how Romans begins. So uh, the, uh, what I like to say, and, and uh, many would agree with me, is, you know, is that 
the three most important portions of the Bible are, are about salvation, for, the, for understanding salvation. Book of Acts, chapter 15, where the church has a big conference. This is crazy, but we're halfway through the book of Acts when we get to chapter 15, and they haven't really decided that we're saved by grace alone. There's a big, they have a big argument. And there are Pharisees, like Nicodemus there, who say the Gentiles must be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses in order to be saved. These are Christian Pharisees. That it's, you got to believe in Jesus, yes, but that's not really quite enough. So they have this big conference in Jerusalem, and Peter stands up and says, we're saved by grace alone. Well, so that's the history of it. Paul explains it in Romans, what all this means, being born again, getting a new nature. And then in Galatians, Paul has to talk to Christians who go back under the law, who become legalistic. And he, he has, I have a chapter in, in a book I've written about this. I'll talk about the book a little bit more later. But I have a chapter in the book where I, 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 it's called Idiot Christians. That's the title of the chapter. Because Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Having begun in the spirit, being, being, being born again, like Jesus describes here, are you now perfected, are you made perfect through human effort? And, and that's what happens, you know, we, we receive Jesus, Jesus loves us just the way we are until we get saved and realize there's a ton of stuff that we need to do and uh, it becomes, it, it's easy to get saved, but it's really hard to be a Christian. And, and I, I, when I read the Bible, it's actually really hard for God to save you when you're not a Christian, but then you become his children, and he may not always like you, but you're his child, and you're his child forever. So who's your daddy? This, the, see, this, and this message today is a royal flush. It's sort of my classic message on, on my life message, which is Jesus plus nothing. Now, <clears throat> there are a lot of other things that matter. But we have to keep going back to Jesus. So, in other words, we need the teaching of Paul to understand the book of James. And we need, like we did last week, we need the teachings of Paul to understand what Jesus is telling us about being born again. Now, here's what Paul writes. So, who's your daddy? Here's what Paul, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all, what? Children of God. He doesn't say you're good people. He says, you're children of God. God is now your father. And through faith, uh, 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 children of God, uh, let me read this up here because I've got a mistake in my notes here. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So you have two things here, children of God, born again, through faith, uh, whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you have those two concepts in John in that one verse, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, okay? Now, let's run, let's run with this. Let me explain how Paul explains being born again. That salvation is not about religion. It's not about what you know. It's not about rules and obedience to God, uh, either to get God's love or to keep God's love, but it's about family. It's about relationships. So I've got three main points. I especially like the first one. Rules are necessary, but they don't change people. Rules control people. Rules don't change people. How many of you have had rules for your kids? Does it change them? <clears throat> Discipline for not obeying the rules is what begins to change them, right? So an example of how hard it is for us, to, how, how rules really don't change people um, there, there are a lot of white signs on the highways, and uh, they're in black and white, and they have numbers. And what are the, what are the words above the numbers? Speed. See, speed what? What's the second word? Limit. So if it says speed limit 55, how fast do you drive? <laughs> and you are people of God, is that right? And why, why are those signs there? Those signs are not there to transform your life. You are not born again. You, when you see one of those signs, you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. When you see those signs, you don't say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was just wondering how fast I should go. And this, I know that you're concerned about my life. And 
You just, if it says limit, you drive above the limit, right? And if somebody's driving below the limit, you yell at them, you know? <laughs> so so this, is, this is an example. Rules are necessary, but they don't change people. Rules control people. I have never written anything on a bathroom wall. But I saw a sign in a bathroom, in a men's room at Knott's Berry Farm that that said there was a penalty for writing on the bathroom walls. And when I saw that, I had to write on the bathroom wall. Okay, I mean, I, don't, I didn't, I really didn't, but I was, I was tempted because it said, don't do it, I was tempted to do it. And I'm a pastor, a seminary graduate, wants to write on the wall because of the rule. See, and we're all like this. We want to live outside the lines, outside the boundaries. There's something in us that is just so self-destructive. Well... <clears throat> in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, God gave us rules called the Ten Commandments, the moral code, and then all kinds of uh, how many doves you need to kill to pay for your sins, you know, all kinds of religious rules. And they were revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God gave us these rules. I want to make this really simple. He gave us rules for three reasons. And there are just two on the sign here. So... What, is, what does that mean? There are two there. Where's the third? Did you know there, there are three kinds of people? Those who can count and those who can't. And don't ask me, what's the third kind? You've totally missed the joke if you... Okay. <clears throat> so there are two rules, two things. Why did God give us rules? Number one, to show what God is like. What's he like? We sang about that, perfect, perfect, perfect God, you know. And the second reason is to show what we're, not, what we're like. What are we like? Not perfect. Okay, people say I'm not perfect. But if you talk to somebody about the Lord um, or about going to church, you will often hear this response, I'm a pretty good person. Like, why do I need that? And I want to know, what is a pretty good person? Okay. Well, like it's a curve? Are you good 51%, bad 49%? What is a pretty good person? Uh, my friend Kaiser, uh, he, goes, he goes to the state penitentiary, does, does ministry. And, and I've heard this from people who work with um, prisoners, felons, lifers, that they'll say, I'm, a pretty, I'm, not, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I've, I've done some bad things. I'm not a bad person. You know, some of them have only murdered one person. You've never, most of you, I'm going to hope most of you have never murdered somebody, but you've wanted to murder somebody. <laughs> Do you think God knows that? God says, oh, that's okay. As long as you don't murder him, you're okay. You can hate him, but don't murder him. You know, so um, Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and, and there's a parallel. So God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and now Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And, and on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he's helping us here, uh, what is it like to be a, a pretty good person? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Matthew was a tax collector. He didn't just work for the IRS. He was a representative of the Roman government that was occupying Israel. And he was collecting money from Jews to pay for the Romans and their armies and their occupation. And so he was, he was uh, you know, he was like a mafia guy. And uh, so, and, and then Jesus says, uh, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Jesus used the word pagans, pagans, even pagans love their, their children. And, love, and they have friends. Okay, and then even pagans do this, you know, but we have to go out of our way. Jesus in another place says, love your enemies. And then, and then he says, well, read it with me. Be what? Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So being a pretty good person is like way not good enough. You got to be perfect. Okay, so in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, Jesus uh, says, You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. So, okay, so you've never committed adultery, but Jesus also just throws every man under the bus. 
If you look at a woman the wrong way, you've committed adultery. You, you have broken that commandment. You don't have to do anything. You just have to have the thought. And uh, that's, that's every man's curse. It's like, there are not going to be any men in heaven. Okay? So, <clears throat> I've never said that before. I shouldn't have said it. But Jesus is trying to tell us that being perfect is not just about outward behavior and controlling yourself. It's about what's going on inside of you. And so right after that, I mean, this is every man's curse, but right after that, Jesus just includes everybody when he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say to you, if in a fit of rage you call somebody that you should, a name that you shouldn't call them, or you use some language that you shouldn't use, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's what Jesus says. At least he doesn't say that to men and looking at another wo a woman wrongly. But you, so how many of you on the highway or the freeway have called somebody in another car something you shouldn't have called them? Now I know. I know that Christians never show anybody the middle finger. But you have the finger in your heart. You want to show them the finger. Or you might just some, say something more, more simple, like go to hell, or something like that. So Jesus says if you do that kind of stuff, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So what do, what do we do? Okay. Um, <clears throat> here's how I define perfect, and I, I got this years ago from a, a YWAM, a famous YWAM teacher by the name of Dean Sherman. I thought this was fantastic. He said, perfect, this is perfect. Doing all the right things at all the right times for all the right reasons. Anyone, anybody want to jump up and shout, that's me. Is anybody here, since I began speaking, you're listening and you're pretty attentive and I can be pretty interesting. Um, but you're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. Anybody here? Does it ever go through your mind sitting in church? You're going to hell. <laughs> because you've got to do all the right things at all the right times for all the right reasons. All right? If you don't think that's true, um, I will show you some Bible verses in just a second that will make you feel really guilty. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, you know, I've, ke I've kept all the law. The, the young man said to Jesus, I've kept all the, the laws. And Jesus says, well, th then go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the man went away sorrowful because there's something inside of us that just keeps us from really living like the children of God. Just like your kids, there's something in them. They're born with an unwillingness to do what you say. And you're not just trying to control them. You really want them to become responsible adults in your own imperfect way. So, um, I, you know, I, I like to use some kind of worldly humor to help people understand the Bible, like in, in poker there's a, there's a website, it's called despair.com. And, and don't, don't put that up there quite yet, okay? Take that down. Uh, anyway, there's, there's, a, there's a website called despair.com, and they, they, they make demotivational posters. You know, you've seen these motivational posters? Um, one of them, one of their posters is a picture of, of, of uh, a salmon leaping into the mouth of a grizzly bear, and the salmon, the bear's like this, and the salmon's right here. And then underneath it says, sometimes the journey of a thousand miles ends very badly. <laughs> They're demotivational posters. So this is, their, this is their signature poster. If we can pop it up there now. Despair. It's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. <laughs> and then there's this one, which helps us understand grace. Failure. When your best just isn't good enough. 
I mean, isn't this, the, this is really the story of the Christian life. How many of you have hung your head and said, what does God think of me now? You know, like he didn't know this was coming. He does know the future. You don't know it's coming. You don't want it to come, but you feel miserable. And you feel that God's turned his face away, maybe a little bit, and, or he's withdrawn his love because of the way you've behaved. See? And it's, it's failure. You know, think about, think about sports, you know, or the, a race in the Olympics. How many people run in the marathon in the Olympics? One person wins. Or there are all these heats in the 100 meters. One person gets a gold medal. And, you know, people get a silver medal. They want to throw it in the dirt, or especially a bronze medal. They're thir in third place. And this is something that's inside of us that says, you know, we have to be successful. So what does the Bible say about this? Look at James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Hallelujah. So you're a pretty good person? See you in hell. Okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by what? Observing the law, keeping the rules. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So this is, uh, this is, this, this is why God, this, we'll see it up on the screen in a minute. This is why, another reason why God gave us the law, to, to show us how we don't really love God or love the law or, or love doing things that, the right way. The laws of God is like an x-ray. It has the power to expose, but not the power to heal. So if you, you know, break your, you know, I, I blew out my Achilles tendon in, in, uh, in February at a, at a Christian retreat center. And, um, and so I had, I've had several MRIs and didn't heal. It got infected, and I had more MRIs. And the MRI does nothing. The, the uh, x-ray does nothing. It just shows the doctor and you what needs to be fixed. Right? So... Uh, the law of God shows the unreachable distance between what we are and what God originally made us to be. God's law is like a spotlight on a cockroach. When you, you, know, you go into your kitchen at night and you turn the light on, all the cockroaches, they run for the dark, right? Oh, you don't have cockroaches. Okay. So we, we actually have a song. We have a Christian song. You all know this song. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a roach like me. <laughs> and and I, love, I love to say that because, you know, being a roach, I don't know, it's like a wretch. What is a wretch? Like when, when you want to show somebody the finger on the freeway, you don't say, oh, you wretch. You ever said that to another driver? Oh, you're a wretch. You know, so this is an, a, an ancient word that we never really use. And, and, but, it, you know, a roach is something we can understand because they're disgusting creatures. Um, and yet there, there's some good things about being a roach. You run really fast. You can fly if you have to. You live with, you have a lot of commu community. You live with lots of other roaches. You reproduce like crazy. You know, so, um, but you don't want the light. And as soon as you see the light, away you go back into the sewer. You don't even know that you're a roach. So, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I love to share that with people. So here, now here, are you a pretty good person? This is what I call the righteousness scale. There's heaven, perfect. There's really good, pretty good, pretty bad, really bad, a roach. Okay, <clears throat> so where are you? Does God grade on the curve? So you have never committed adultery, but you've kind of looked at some stuff, or you've never killed anybody, but you've called people in the, on the freeway or on the highway or roaches or something worse. See, and just so you're pretty good, but not really pretty bad, and it's really bad. Okay, this, this is what people don't understand, and this is why Jesus says to a really good man, Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. I mean, how do I enter the kingdom? To enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. What does that mean? Uh, okay, so look at, uh, look at this next thing, or, or the next verse I, I've got here, Hebrews. Oh, no, no, I forgot, to just, I forgot to say this. Is there any human being ever in the history of human beings that's done all the right things for all the right reasons at all the right times? Any human being ever? Jesus, you got this. It's not hard, right? So he's, he's perfect, right? 
So this is the whole point. When you're born again, you get a new nature. You get the nature of Christ. And I talked about this last week. Not only does God take your, not only does God take your sins away, Jesus takes your sins away, but he gives you his righteousness. And in that moment, that miracle moment, you are made right with God. And that's what this scripture says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. By one sacrifice, he has made two words. What? Made us what? Perfect forever. And those who are being made holy. So you have, we talked about this last week, justification and sanctification. Declared righteous, made righteous through, through obedience to the difficulties that we face. We learn how to trust God. We read the scriptures and the scriptures... Uh, show us the direction where, that we should be taking our lives. And we don't do that to get saved. We don't do that to be saved. We do that because we're God's children. And we know that he's a good father. And he, you know, he tells us what's important for us to, to be good followers and to be, to be the kinds of people that will bear witness to the salvation that Jesus brings us. So what are the three reasons for the law? To show what God is like perfect, to show what we're not like not perfect, and to show that we have a problem with what? Our nature. We don't just have a behavior problem. We have a nature problem. Galatians chapter 4 says this. The scriptures declare, scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Because we think that being a, the way we become, un, uh, the way we get out of a jail, the way we get away from sin is that we start trying to live to be good. But that always fails, see. Before this faith, we were held prisoners of the law. This is really interesting. We're prisoners of sin, and we're prisoners of the law, which is human effort to get rid of sin. So you try, and nothing works. I heard on National Public Radio some years ago talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, that before Alcoholics Anonymous, there were really no, uh, no significant uh, changes in, people's who ha in people who had, had alcohol problems. <clears throat> and the, what is unique about Alcoholics Anonymous is that you have to submit to a higher power. I mean, they don't even talk about the Bible. But this whole God factor is what actually changes people's lives. Not the law, not rules. Well, you can't, shouldn't drink anymore. That's bad. You need to go above that. We're not only prisoners of sin, but we're also prisoners of the law. We don't just have a problem with doing bad things or not enough good things. We have a problem inside of us. We don't even have the capacity to do what we know we should do. How many of you have said at least once in your life, I'm never doing that again until Tuesday, right? So that's, there's no religion. There's nobody cramming religion down your throat. You just know some things are not right, and you don't want to do them anymore. And so you just make a vow, I'm not going to do it, and then you do it. That's called being a prisoner of sin and a prisoner of the law, your effort not to sin. We're prisoners. <clears throat> Alcoholics are not just prisoners to alcohol. They're prisoners, they're prisoners to, I shouldn't drink. I'm not going to drink anymore. <clears throat> this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a really good man, he said, you must be born again. All right? And I, I, we, we know this word, regeneration. We, we need to be regenerated. And his, here's how I spell this word, regenerated. We need a new nature. We need new, we need new DNA. We need, to be, we need new genes. We need to be, and that's really what this word means. That's, the word comes from the word gene. The same, it's the same root term. We need to be regenerated. This is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law, you know everything that anybody could possibly know about the Bible, but you need to be regenerated. You need to be born again because you have a nature problem, not just a behavior problem. So when that happens, we don't just make God happy. We become his children, which leads me to my second main point, number, number two. The Christian faith is not about rules, slaves, crime and punishment, employees, getting fired. It's about relationship. Who's your daddy? Look at our royal flush verse again, Galatians chapter 3. You are all children of God 
through faith in Christ Jesus. You aren't just a follower of Jesus uh, like he's the main person in your religion and you do what he says. When you're born again, you become a child of God. A child of God. You've been regenerated. You have his DNA. Look at 1 John chapter 3, 9. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. That Greek word seed, it, it's the word sperma. We get an English word from that. You have this, the sperma of God in you, the seed, you know, that's got all the DNA, the DNA of God. You know, we talk about how Jesus was, was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. That was like a, this miracle of, he, you know, he had a perfect nature because he had the seed of God, literally. So, so now, I, uh, I, I asked you this question last week, and this just to kind of rehearse some things, but uh, it's also for all of you who are new. How, how many of you are raising, you've ra are raising children, or you've raised children, or you've seen children? Okay, remember I asked that question last week? And so, how many of you love your children? How many children do you guys have? Two boys. And how old are they? Yeah. And they're perfect, right? <laughs> and you love them anyway? What's wrong, what's wrong with you? Because you should only love them. We know God only loves us when we're good. See? But we, uh, that's what we think. But parents love, imperfect parents know that these are our kids. And we don't always like them. But we love them. So how many of you love your children? How many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children or your brother's children? I have, you know, I, I love all my grandchildren, but my, my, my two sons and my daughter do not love their brothers and their siblings' children as much as they love their own children. Okay? So you love your children. How many of you love them more than you love the neighbor's children or your brother's children? How many of you love your children more than you love your neighbor's children, your brother's children, even though your neighbors have better children? <laughs> Think about that. Why do you do that? And why, why do we do that to God? Why do we use imperfect human love that we feel for, about, our, you know, you, about our neighbor's children? If your children sin... You discipline, you deal with them. If the neighbor's kids do something wrong, you call the police. Because, because they're under the rules and the law. Your children are under the law of love. Okay. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3. Paul says, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We just read that, and then for the, and the next verse he says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You have his nature. You have his perfection. It's just incredible. So this is why you're perfect. If you clothe yourself with Christ, it's what I call Jesus plus nothing. Uh, and the alternative is Jesus plus something. What is that? You know, um, you know, Jesus plus something. In the Bible, it was in the early Christian church, it was Jesus plus circumcision. Give me a break. Circumcision? I got to do what to follow Christ? Is there something equally cruel we can do to women? Okay. You know, what, what is this? And that's in Acts 15. It says some of the Pharisees, who, believers who were Pharisees, said the Gentiles must be circumcised in order to be saved. So all, in every church you find, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you got to believe in Jesus, Jesus, pero. And, and um, so, you know, let me just give you an example. When, you know, people, people who are really good Catholics say, well, you got to believe in Jesus, but you got to go to Mass. If you're not a Catholic, you're not going to heaven. Or if you're a really good Christian, you've been born again, maybe used to be a Catholic, and you just have a lot of uh, bitterness about what the Catholic Church didn't teach you, and you find out that there's a Catholic who talks about Jesus, and like, like they really believe in Jesus, you want to you say to them, you know, you can't, be in, you can't believe in Jesus and be a Catholic. So you can't, be, you can't it's got a Jesus plus, 
you got to be a Catholic, or it's Jesus plus, you can't be a Catholic. It's crazy. It's always the rules. Somehow it's the rules. And we can see what everybody else needs to do, but we know we got it together, or do we? My sister-in-law, who was raised Catholic, she said the Catholics have a lot of junk. And then she said, but who doesn't? Right? So I wrote a book about this, about Galatians, and I brought these along, five bucks a piece. It's such a deal. And this is the book. (laughs) Honey, I just shrunk Jesus. Because when you add things to Jesus, it makes Jesus a little less than what he really is. Okay? You know, all these things matter, you know, can you, can you be a Christian and be a Catholic? Can you be a Christian and smoke? Can you be a Catholic and a Christian and drink? Most of you seem to believe that. Um, uh, can you be a Christian and get an abortion? See, now we start getting really sensitive. Can you be a Christian and, and be gay or lesbian? Now, I'm not saying any of this stuff is good. It doesn't justify it, okay? But the point is, is it Jesus plus something else? Or is it Jesus plus nothing which changes everything? It's not Jesus plus nothing so I don't have to do nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing when you hear the gospel. It's the person of Jesus that liberates you. And what Christians, they want to, they're just like Adam and Eve. They know God. They love God. God loves them. But they always want to take something from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you know what's right to do and do it, or you know what's wrong to do and you don't do it, you're going to be closer to God. And God says, if you eat from that tree, that's the tree of your own effort. If you eat from that tree, it will kill you. There's so darn many things I could say about this. You know, he's, he's heard me twice here. I'm throwing a few new things in here so you don't get too bored, James. Okay. <clears throat> so where are you on the righteousness scale? Jesus plus what? See, where, you know, this, oh, this is Jesus plus what? See, not doing some things, doing everything as good as you can, being, being sincere. You know, what does it mean? See, it, it all means nothing to, when you understand that we fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's not, that's not mean. That's just God trying to say, I want to help you. So when we add things to Jesus, as in, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but before you know it, it's, it's Jesus, but, you know, something, there's something in, it's the something in Jesus plus, Jesus plus something becomes more important than Jesus. And this is my third main point, which will really help you understand this practically. Okay, amazing grace isn't just about how God loves you unconditionally. It's about how God working in you, it's about God working in you to love others unconditionally. If you are under the rules in any way, if you got a lot of religion in you, or you've been a Christian for a long time, if you got any religion in you, that is going to become the thing that you use to judge others. <clears throat> Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, right in this text. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. So let me put this into your marriage. We're one only, it's possible only when our relationship with God is based on Jesus plus nothing. When it's Jesus plus something, that becomes a barrier in our relationship with others. So like in Ephesians 5 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, submit to one another. He's talking to husbands and wives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because Jesus is right there in your home as much as he's here in church. So, you say, well, you know, I know we're under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of our home, but I can't get past this issue. My husband, blah, blah, blah. My wife, blah, blah, blah. So what you're really saying is that the problem is at least as big as Jesus, right? And when you say, but the issue, it could be the issue, it could be a doctrine, it could be uh, an ethnicity issue, it could be just about anything if we don't all come together in Jesus Christ. You know, I I know this is, um, I don't know if I really share share this here, James, and maybe people won't want to hear me talk again, but um, for the last Two, two year, a year ago and then two years ago I actually had an opportunity to go to the Vatican and not just meet Pope Francis but sit with him with about 30 or 40 other pastors 
mostly Protestant pastors, for two hours just to talk to him. And Pope Francis said this, the Pope said this, we have to make Jesus Christ our center, not the church. Now the church is important, how we worship, you know, what we believe, all those things are important. But when those things become more important than our relationship with Jesus, they become points of division. You know, I was raised Lutheran, and we knew that people who were not Lutheran, there were Christians out there. But we also knew this, God is Lutheran. We know there are other Christians out there, but we all, but we really know that this, we're, you know, we're pretty sure that God, when Jesus comes back, he's coming to Living Word Chapel. See, we all, we put our stuff first, and man, God's got to, God has to change us radically. So the application here is that Jesus is never appointed division. It's the something part of Jesus, and Jesus plus something. It's the something part of Jesus plus something that always becomes a point of judgment and division. Limited grace always means limits to the ones we can love, limits to the people we can include in our circle. And I want to I wanna end with just with this story. I know we got one more verse to read here, but I just want to end with this story. Um, one of my, my colleagues and these guys, my friends who are with me, we, we get together with their five families, and this, two, these, two, these are two of the guys, and the other guy, one of the other guys in the, in the group is Hector Torres, uh, Hector and Mimi. And Hector and I have served together in ministry for 35 years. We've been colleagues and friends. And Hector's kids, our kids grew up in this, the same age, and his oldest daughter, Heidi, ran away from home when she was 17, and she was gone for weeks, and they had no idea where she was. But that's Hector's daughter. And he said, this experience helped me understand the love of God, how relentless the love of God is. He said, this is a mystery. I never loved my daughter more than I did when she ran away. So you have kids that go south on you or west or east or whatever, or they, they don't know if they really believe in God. You won't say, oh, well, forget that kid. That, that, I've had it. You know, it's your, that's your children. You, you can't let it go. And that's human love. And when you become a child of God, he can't let you go. You know, I don't, I've heard this term many times. People say, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I hate that expression. Because it just sounds like, well, you can do whatever the, the H you want. But um, Hector introduced me to this. He, he said, it's not once saved, always saved. It's once a child, always a child. And that's the grace of God. And it's, it's the grace of God that actually changes us and transforms us. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Can you just uh, bow your heads and say this little prayer after me? God the Father, say this after me. God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I can't even begin to understand your love. Jesus, you died for me to take away my sins and to give me your perfect righteousness. I'm so grateful. I can never live up to your expectations. So Jesus, thank you for becoming a part of me. Heavenly Father, Father in heaven, Abba Father, I'm one of your children. Thank you for loving me into my future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.